Welcome into another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. On this episode, we have Marty Sutherland. Marty is currently the associate head coach and recruiting coordinator at the University of Iowa. Um, for longtime listeners of the podcast, you know, we've had on Dave Pearson, who's who's at Iowa, who's, who's coaching there. We've had on Robin Lund, who's the pitching coach at Iowa. Now we have Marty on, and, and last, we're going to eventually have to get Rick Heller on the show and just, you know, we can hit everybody on there, you know, get the entire Iowa staff. So they do an incredible job at Iowa from a player development standpoint, from a recruiting standpoint, which is one of the reasons that I wanted to have Marty on because, you know, he's a very good hitting coach, but he's a very good recruiter as well. And so he, he's been doing this for several years now at a few different places. And he gives some some great insight, great tips to to those who are going through the recruiting process right now, what he's looking for, and also talks about you know how they do things at Iowa from a development standpoint. What are some of the things that that are important to them? Um, and he he kind of he takes us behind the scenes a little bit and talks about some of the stuff that they're implementing this fall with their players in which they haven't done necessarily in the past. So some really cool insight to some of the things that they're doing at the University of Iowa which is, I mean, they do, like I said before, an amazing job from a development standpoint. And it, it definitely shows because they put out great players. They have a, a student manager program that is unbelievable. There's over, I think you said 24 or 25 student managers within the program who help with the analytics department and who help with the on-field coaching too. So great stuff. Appreciate Marty coming on the show. If you um, if you haven't made it to iTunes yet, please head over to iTunes and leave a first of all, subscribe. Second of all, leave a five star rating. And if you could write a short review too, that would be very beneficial to the show. So the way the algorithm works on on iTunes is the, the more reviews and the, the more five star ratings a show has it's shown to more and more people. And so in order to impact the most amount of players possible, which is the main purpose of doing this podcast, um, please make sure to, if you're a listener and you enjoy this, please make sure to, to head to iTunes and it'll literally take a minute, really a five-star rating, write a short review. And by doing that, we're going to be able to reach more and more coaches and parents, which is going to help us reach more and more players. So please uh, do that if you haven't already. And I'm excited to to release this episode. And I, I know that if you're listening to this, you're going to want to listen to the entire thing because Marty brings some great content that, um, that no matter who you are, what, what level you're at, you're going to, it's going to help you. And it's, um, it's going to be something that you're going to be able to take away and implement right away with your own players. So ladies and gentlemen, here's my episode with Marty Sutherland. All right, Marty, we're now live recording on the podcast. Uh, appreciate you so much for coming on. I, I, I mean, I feel like I've gotten almost everybody on Iowa staff on the podcast. Now I've had Robin on, I've had Dave Pearson on. Now I got you on, I got to get the head guy, you know, head guy on eventually, but I appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah. We, uh, hopefully your checks clearing. You're part of the payroll now, <laughs> um, but, but obviously I know um, Robin and, and David both really enjoyed their time uh, with you and you and I got to talk just a little bit over in Indy. So just really happy. Uh, you decided to have me on. So my my first question I have, and I uh, I was listening to you on, on a couple other podcasts this morning on the way on the, my drive over to my cage to record this, and uh, you know learned something about you which I thought was really cool and, and wanted to 
not only just share with everybody listening, but also ask you the question is, I, di- I didn't know that you, you know, you had coached for several years and then you stopped coaching for four years and we're selling insurance and then you got back into coaching. I just thought that was really cool because it just shows that, you know, hey, you didn't give up on your dream and you stuck with it. You know, I think sometimes, you know, even if it didn't work out right when you wanted it to, you took a step back in order to take two forward. But I just want to hear about that, the story of you having to stop coaching, selling insurance, and then getting back into coaching. Well, um, you know, obviously my playing career ended um, playing for Coach Heller. My last two years, uh, we're at Northern Iowa playing for him uh, in, in the early 2000s. Uh, then I coached a year at Wartburg and then was lucky enough to get back on Coach Heller's staff and then spent, you know, the rest of uh, the rest of, you know, I guess you and I's program those last few years with with Rick. So the last few years um, at you and I are really difficult because we just kind of had that cloud hanging over us for, you know, it seemed like the whole time, but but a lot more later, you know, as far as, hey, you know, the program may go away type of thing. And so you're fighting that and, and um, you know, fighting other things that just made it really hard to, to compete consistently there. So I think by the time that finally happened in 09, you know, I was a little wore down um, and wondering, you know, what is this really what I want to do? Um, you know, so from that standpoint, um, you know, I was kind of maybe ready to do something different. Uh, then Rick got the job at Indiana State and and really, um, you know, I was going to go with him, but it just didn't work. It didn't work with with the current assistants that were already there. Rick got that job super late, like August. Um and so after that, you know, it just life started going a different direction. You know, like you said, I, I got into the insurance world into the private sector and, and I still I still did a lot of private lessons. Um, I still helped out at the high school level. Um, and so that was kind of, you know, that was what I did to get my baseball fix. And, and you, there's a certain amount of time that passes where you you kind of figure out that like this isn't this ship has sailed, right? You know, and I was a point in my life where it wasn't just, I wasn't probably going to go back to a super low level situation. You know, it was going to take a perfect situation. Um, And the more years go by, you just figure that's not happening, you know? So I was in my maybe third or fourth year of working uh, privately. And then Rick got the job at Iowa. And quite honestly, a lot of things (laughs) had to happen um, for me to get back in it. But I, I think it's just a testament to Rick um, you know, I think, I, I think of three people a lot when I think about this, I think about myself, obviously, I think about Desi Drusel, who's now with the Yankees. And I think about Robin and how, how, um, I guess different those hires were for Rick to be able to make those hires just says a lot about him because it went against, against the grain, right? I mean, it was me being out of it for four years, Robin being, uh, you know, a professor at Northern Iowa for 18 years, Desi, had not really done pitching before, had been out of coaching, um, was our volunteer for a year or two. Um, but Rick didn't care about unconventional. He cared about, you know, finding the right people and people that he believed that could, you know, help, um, you know, bring his vision to life. And it just says a lot about him um, that he would take chances on all of us. And that's ultimate, you know, if it wasn't Rick, I don't know, nobody else was going to hire me. Nobody else is probably going to hire Robin. You know, Desi probably feels the same way. Um, and so just just the loyalty that he's always shown to people that have been in his corner for a long time um, is just kind of a cool deal. And and again, it's it goes against the grain of 
of really any anything else anybody would do, right? I mean, you want somebody who's more grounded in that profession or been on the on the street. You know, I hadn't been recruiting for four years. Robin hadn't been recruiting for 20 some years. Um, you know, so all these things are kind of crazy um, that we're ending up here. Now I'm in year 10 with Rick, Robin's in year uh, three or four um, and, and things are in a pretty good place. And um, I think it just all starts with Rick and, and him, you know, going out in limbs for us. Yeah. You don't, you don't see that type of loyalty very often anymore, especially in sports. It seems that that that's that type of loyalty is pretty rare. Yeah. And I think um, trying to put this the best way, like the, especially in, in the world we live in today in college athletics, where, you know, you have to do well, you have to win. And, you know, our sport luckily is growing to a point where there's more and more money involved um, with coaches salaries to um, budgets to, you know, all these things that, that are, um, you know, happening in the sport of baseball, we have coaches making over a million dollars. We have assistants making half a million dollars. I mean, so anytime you get into that, you know, what you start to see is a little bit less leeway, right. A little less rope, you know um, you know, in situations where maybe you haven't been as successful. So, um, you know, like you said, it's really hard. Sometimes the loyalty card doesn't, always work <laughs> you know what yeah. i mean it kind of gets to a point where it's like well no we gotta we gotta do well we gotta win um and and you know for rick to just constantly kind of believe in you know what he wants and and you know believe in us again to, to go out on a limb um just one is is something that um you know we can shapes us as people you know if we ever get head coaching jobs we feel like you know that's who we're going to be as people and and um so he set a great example for who we want to be as coaches i know i've talked to robin a lot um over the last couple of years and he's he's always spoken so highly of you just especially on the <clears throat> just the recruiting side of, of how good of a recruiter you are and and uh my question to you starting out is you know how many i think this would be interesting for people to to hear how many texts and emails would you say you get a day about recruiting oh um from from you know it's it's a wide swath of them you get them from kids you get them from coaches you get them from you know you know alumni you get them from all all kind of different um you know different parts of of the world uh I mean it's a lot I mean I don't even know and and here's the deal I'm not going to sit here and say it's anywhere close to what other people are doing mm -hmm. um I, I don't believe in I don't believe in a lot of the running around with your head cut off stuff. I, I believe in being a little bit more calculated in how we go about this, um, and and then not trying to balance fifty different kids and and you know fifty different offers. And that work and I, and that works for people. Um, and it certainly is 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 you know whatever they want it to be, however they want to do that, what it works for them is great. But for us, it's it's trying to be a little bit more um, selective in that process. So I don't think it's probably as crazy as others, um, but it is. I mean, that's the biggest part of your your day is, is just responding and reaching out, staying in touch, um, getting gathering names, you know, all of those things that are part of recruiting. And, you know, as you know, um, you just have a wide swath of age groups you're talking to, right? I mean, in baseball, we have – we haven't, um, you know, regulated some of the age stuff yet, which I think is probably coming down the line. So you could literally in a day talk to a 15 year old and a 22 year old, if it's a portal situation and a, 
you know, in a younger, a younger deal. So, I mean, what an age gap that, that you're talking about. <laughs> and so, you know, if, if you were a little bit more regulated and, Hey, you can only speak to, you know, like softball is doing softball, can't talk to, talk to kids until they're, you know, September 1st of their junior year. And like, no, no communication where we have the ability to communicate with really anybody, as long as, you know, they're the ones making the call or shooting the text. So, um, you just have this wide, this wide array of kids that you're, you're consistently talking to. Why, why not though, go after and offer tons of kids and then sit back and see how they perform. And I know, and I, I'm sure maybe part of it is just from an ethically speaking type of a, a situation where you just don't think that's necessarily the right thing to do. But I guess if you're just thinking about it from like a, a coaching standpoint, you know, you may see a kid play if we're just talking to hitter, you know, five to eight at bats, maybe, right. Cause there's all these other kids you have to see too. And so there's so many things that you don't get to see. And so it's so hard to know, Hey, should I offer this kid or not? So I guess, I mean, why, why wouldn't I'm playing devil's advocate here, but why wouldn't you offer a ton of kids and then throughout the season, throughout travel ball, all that stuff, then you, you start to evaluate, okay, how are they dealing with failure? Who are they really type of a situation? Um, I want to preface this say, by saying this is our philosophy, I, and I don't believe it's the only way to do it, and I don't disparage other people for doing it differently. I'm not on an ivory tower saying, hey, all of you down there, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, we certainly don't have this figured out, but the way I've always felt in recruiting is I've never been a guy that could sit there and say, okay, let's offer these five guys, and, and who takes it, whoever takes it is good. I always have some type of pecking order in my mind. Like this is the kid that I think really fits. This is who I really want. Um, and then it, it falls in behind that. So I would hate to say, okay, here's five offers out, but the one I really want wasn't ready quite to make a commitment. But then I, you know, we got a different kid who, who obviously would have been a good player if we felt, you know, the need to offer him. but we just never been that way. And the other, the other part of it, is, and I'm not saying we've never had to do it, but we don't want to have to make those phone calls, you know, in their senior year saying, Hey, Johnny, we don't have your spot anymore. And, um, we've just, I've never wanted to set myself up to have to make that phone call because it's an awful phone call. Um, and so when we make an offer, it's about us feeling like we can commit to that offer. Um, and not just say, okay, let's just wrangle in 15, 20 guys and we'll figure it out from there. Um, would it be easier that way? Probably to a degree it would be, you know, you wouldn't probably in, be in situations where you're scrambling, um, maybe to find, find, maybe there was a late draft or, you know, some things that just kind of popped up late where somebody just really improved and the situation changed. Um, but we've just always went about it in a way that we want to be able to honor the commitment and we don't want to be in a position where we have to tell somebody that they can't come. Um, I'm not sitting here saying we've never had to do that. That would be a lie. Um, but we, if we do that, we want it to be circumstances that are more about them not upholding, you know, maybe the, the thing that we were asking them to uphold, which is how you handle yourself, taking care of things off the field, you know, all of those types of things. And, and away from it being, you know, just their skill or how they perform. Um, 
again, that's inevitably you're probably going to have some of that, but we've just tried to not put ourselves in that situation if we can. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's good to hear for sure. And I, I, I completely agree with, with how you guys do it. I, I definitely respect it um, a ton. I was just, just curious as an outsider who's never coached college baseball more than anything. Um, I was looking up on your guys's roster. I believe you have 14 or 15 players who have played at other colleges, uh, more so JUCO than other D ones, but has that, has the transfer portal, are, are we going to see smaller classes, high school kids that you're going to be bringing in year in, year out because of that transfer portal? I think it's going to depend on where you're at. Um, so we know two years ago, we had a great situation in the portal, right? We get Adam Mazur, he ends up having, you know, an unbelievable year's big 10 pitcher of the years and second round draft pick. So we're thinking we go into this summer and, you know, we're going to have a chance to get high quality portal guys. And we're really happy with what we got. Um, but it was just tough sledding overall because not, on, not only are people using that more and more, kid, more kids are getting in it, but now you're dealing with the NIL and certain, certain aspects that weren't in place the year before. And so um, with the ability to kind of create, I guess, other avenues to stack money um, other than baseball money, it was really challenging all summer. And basically we came to the conclusion that, you know, I, I don't know that you can really um, rely on that consistently um, at least at our place. Uh, so going back to really making sure we still get high quality high school kids and high quality junior college kids. You know, we're in a state with one division, one school. We have really good junior college situation here. Tons of programs that have been really successful. Um, so we're nuts not to, to mine the talent that those programs have. Um, and so we've just kind of, I think a year ago, we thought the portal is gonna be super fruitful for us. And after this past summer, it's like, okay, it's, it's just tough out there, man. It's like, you know, it's just really difficult um, recruiting situation and you're just under the gun, right? Like you literally have two months and um, to figure it all out. So anything that gets drug out becomes a lot harder if somebody is not ready to make that decision like super quick. And then, you know, as we know, when you're waiting around, that's going to be the one bad thing about the way we do it is waiting around and not saying, hey, Johnny, we need to know in a week or we're out and being able to move on. But if you stick it out and then you don't get that guy, well, then obviously you probably missed out on a handful of other guys um, that potentially would have came to your place. So it's just this really winding road that's difficult to navigate. Um, and you have all these balls in the air and recruiting um, that just make it hard. But for us, we know we still have to find high quality high school kids. We know that the junior college situation is still going to be really good. Um, and we've had a lot of success with guys coming in um, from junior colleges and, and, and being impactful players for us. So I still think that's where our recruiting is going to be based out of. And then, you know, you get lucky uh, in the portal or something just really fits right. Then that's kind of where you go with that, that part of it. What does a high quality high school kid look like for you? I know it's, uh, you know, just talking to different college coaches and, and even some professional scouts and scouting, it, it seems like the, uh, the, the, your gut feel, your, your, what your gut tells you on, on a kid and, and just that initial reaction when you go and watch them play is something that maybe you can't quantify, 
but it, it seems from the coaches that I've talked to does play a part in it. Um, like when you, when you first go and watch a kid, how, how much of an impact does it make on you on just his presence? I think it's a huge part. Like there's having been with Rick now for 17, 18 years as a coach and played for him. It takes a certain type of kid to come here and be successful. Like I know there's certain things that if I see it's going to be uphill here and it'll drive Rick nuts. And it's not worth bringing that kid in unless we really feel like it's more about the kid's environment and it's not really who the kid is. It's just, he's allowed to do what he's doing. Um, and so we talk, when I talk to recruits all the time, they, they ask a similar question, you know, what does it take to get recruited to Iowa? And I said, well, the first thing is you have to be able to play. Like that's, that's the first thing. Right. Um, and then secondly, there's some things that are out of your control, meaning, well, what's our needs? You know, if, if, you know, sometimes that doesn't line up and that can be really frustrating both for a player and a coach because they can play it for us. They're, they may be even better than a player or two that we currently have, um, but it just doesn't fit, you know, positionally or, you know, scholarship wise. So that sometimes a, is a hard thing to talk about and a hard thing to realize. Um, but the other part is, is I want to, I want to walk away from that field with the belief that that, that kid really loves to play and wants to be coached and wants to be great. And, you know, you get into these situations now with all the travel stuff, you just, sometimes you don't see that everything's a showcase to a degree, right? You know, everything's about being evaluated by, by coaches. That's why I kind of still love the Iowa high school situation. It's still a big deal here. And yeah, they play in the summer, which is a pain for recruiting, but I just think that there's just a different, um, just you feel differently about how you go about your business when you're when there's some pride over you know what's in the front of your jersey they're playing for their town and small community something that really matters to them and um i really like to see that i that's what i want to see I, I tell our guys all the time if nobody had ever seen you play um i want them leaving the park thinking that you that you really love to play baseball that from the minute you walk off the bus to the minute you leave if somebody would just watching you they say man that kid loves to play I don't care what they think about you as a player I just want them to think that um this you you just enjoyed doing this um and so that's what we preach that's what we're trying to find we're not perfect um by any stretch but that's what I want to see I, you know somebody's not not out there and it doesn't look joyful then you know this is going to be hard here man like it's just because you're going to get coached and you're going to have expectations and um, if you don't really love to do this, it can become a job awfully quick. What's something that you see uh, high school kids do when you're when you're watching them that that turns you off? And outside, obviously, if they you know don't have a good attitude or something like that, of course that is. But I'm just saying from like uh, maybe a, an actual skills component or maybe the way they feel the ball or just something like that. Is there something that you see um, on a regular basis that just turns you off as a recruiter? Be like, no, I don't think that's going to cut it here. Well, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of hard just because I think you're just looking to how the, do they move athletically, right? And and can you envision them defending at a high level somewhere on the field? And that's just knowing Rick, if if that if a person can't defend, he won't play him mm. um, unless he's for, like he's absolutely forced to. Yeah. Um, 
And if that guy can't defend, then, then like you're fighting for a DH spot, right? And we know that's the easiest spot to turn over. Um, and so it can be a tough spot to, to hold down. Um, so I, I'm looking for that guy that can defend at a high level. And then a bonus would be, can they defend multiple places? Mm-hmm. And so if I go watch a kid and I'm like, man, he's, he's just going to have a problem defending anywhere, then that's tough. Um, unless they're super offensive and then you can maybe have one of those guys, you know what I mean? Um, but I always say this to the guys, like if that's your only deal, then you better hit a lot or else you don't bring a lot of value outside of that. We're looking for the guys who can bring value in two or three different areas, whether that be as a hitter, a defender, a base runner, you know, whatever it may be, you're looking to hit two or three of those. Um, because now the value increases for that, that particular player. But again, you can, you can still have a a banger, right? I mean, it's okay to have the big, the big guy who's, who's maybe not a great defender, but again, you just can't make your, your team up of those. Um, I'm a hitting guy, so this is kind of hard to say, but I know that if we don't defend and pitch, we won't win. I don't care how good our offense is. Like we could hit 350 and hit a bunch of homers. If we don't do the other two things well, we won't be successful. Um, I did, it's been a few years since I did this, but um, I used to just take the World Series teams and take like five major offensive categories and five major defensive, you know, pitching defense categories and, and just compare like where they were at nationally. And the offensive numbers are literally all over the map. I mean, and they could be well into the hundreds ranked on, in team offense or runs or batting average, whatever it may be. The pitching and defense is all literally in the top 20. Whoa. And, and so that's what we talk about all the time. Like if we're not good in those two areas, pitching and defense, we won't win consistently anyway, because it's just, it's too hard to overcome those two things. You can overcome some things offensively. If you're not great, you know, if you can execute, you know, if you can, you know, again, if you're not giving things to the other team through, you know, walks, hit by pitches, errors, you know, making, you know, bad decisions defensively, you're going to force them to beat you. Um, and a lot of times you can do enough offensively to overcome it. And then the other thing you deal with is you deal with really good pitchers, right? If you're in a weekend, you're facing potential two out of those three guys are drafts, um, you know, at least, and then you're dealing with really good relievers. You're dealing with weather elements. Um, you know, you get a colder day, wind's blowing in. So if you're just an offensive juggernaut, well, you can be shut down. You can struggle on those days where you're just a pit, you really can defend and you can really pitch, then that's going to play every day. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the other part of recruiting that we talk a lot about is, is you cannot be bad in those two areas. Um, and, and either one, like it does, if you're good on the mound, but you're bad defensively, that's going to be a problem and vice versa, you know, better defense and bad pitching, maybe you can, you can overcome a little, but man, it's hard to win consistently without success in those two areas. So for everybody who's, who's listening to this or watching this, uh, I just want to just reiterate exactly what, what uh, Marty just said right there of, you know, the importance of, of defense. If you're a position player, I mean, you heard him right there and he's a hitting guy too, where like the importance of, of being able to defend and how, how much value, you know, a, a school, you know, as good as Iowa puts into that. And I'm a hitting guy too. Obviously I'm here in my cage and, you know, I don't do a ton of defensive work with players or anything, but it, it's great to hear someone like yourself who is a recruiting coordinator 
say that out loud. And again, I just wanted to say that again is make sure you're working on your defense too, because as Marty just said, even if you're a good hitter, if you cannot defend, if you're a liability, you're not going to play. Um, and they're not even going to play. They're not going to even recruit you. What about like looking for players who play solely up the middle? I know you talked a little bit about this in your, in your answer where you said, you know, if you can play multiple positions, that's even better. But are you, are you mainly looking for players who can play up the middle in high school? And then once it gets to Iowa, then you can maybe filter them up to the corner if they can't stick there. Yeah, I think that's a fair, a fair statement for sure. Right. I mean, you go watch a high school team or you go watch travel team most of the time their best players are catchers, shortstop, center fielders, right? I mean, that's where the strength of the team is. And, um, you know, especially when you get into Iowa high schools, you get a lot of small communities and the best players, typically the shortstop. I, I, I don't know who told me, but um, I remember when I first started recruiting, they just always said, you can always tell how good the team is by the shortstop. Hmm. Shortstop's a good player. They have a chance to be a good team. If he's a, if it's not a good player, then it's probably, probably not a very good team. Um, and obviously you feel like those guys, if they're defending that position pretty well, that they're athletic enough to move uh, other places, obviously defend any of those spots on the infield, whether it be second and third, um, and then have the potential to move in the outfield. But I think it can also be dangerous because some guys don't adapt to those changes very well. Like if you have a shortstop who'd never really done much outfield, we've put guys out there and they're like, no problem. It's natural for them. And then I put guys out there that, you know, I thought we're good athletes and would handle it. It looks like they have two left feet, like they can't, they can't track the ball, you know, all those things. So it can be a little dangerous. Um, but I certainly think that that's a way you end up recruiting is because I think a lot of times that's kind of their best player, you know? Um, and anyway, that's kind of, kind of my feeling on it. What about from a, a project projectability standpoint, when you're watching a kid, if it how 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 much do you take into account where he's at right now versus where you project him to be down the road in a couple of years? Like, would you rather have a kid who's already filled out a little bit or would you have a kid who's maybe a little bit leaner, but you can see some more potential down the road? Like, does that play a part into your recruiting too? Well, I think it certainly does. I mean, especially with how early recruiting is going. Um, you know, if you're recruiting a sophomore in high school, I mean, you're, you're essentially just projecting, right? I mean, you're, you're trying to figure out where he's going to be in three, four years. If you get a junior college kid, well, you, that's a little bit less of a guess deal, right? I mean, they're going to be ready to play plug and play. I mean, if you feel like there's a, if you feel like there's a development that needs to happen, then you probably shouldn't recruit that junior college kid. But if, if it's a high school kid, that's a totally different element. Um, you know, as far as, as where you think they're going to be in a few years when they step foot on campus. But uh, I go back to, I think Nick's, I think I heard this from Nick Zande, who was a longtime pitching coach, pitching coach at Iowa, Indiana State, was a head coach at, in, uh, at Muscatine Community College forever. And he just talked, he just said, well, just be careful, projection gets you fired. Um, and the, what he meant was, is like, just be careful because it's a hard thing to do. You know, nobody, nobody has a crystal ball. And so if, you're building a whole program on where you think they're going to be down the road. That's a dangerous proposition. You want to be a little bit more sure in a lot of, a lot of situations than, than just saying, Ooh, by the time he's a sophomore or junior, he's going to, he's going to be this guy. Cause essentially you just never know until they get here. You could, I've had so many situations where I thought it was a no doubt situation 
and they get here and it's a slog, right? It's just been a, it's a constant struggle. And then the kid where you thought, okay, it may take him a little bit. He comes and he just, it's upward projection right away. Like he just hits the ground running. So you never I'd be the first to tell you, I have, I'm nowhere near close uh, to having this all figured out. And, and so um, again, until you get him here, you don't really know. So you just, just kind of, do your best. And, and, you know, part of it is we believe in our coaching and what we do um, that, that, you know, if they're willing and, and ready to be coached that, that we're going to help them get better. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into, uh, I definitely got some questions about some of the development stuff you guys do in a little bit, but if you could give yourself Marty Sutherland, your own advice, if you could give your, yourself one piece of advice um, and go back to the first day you started recruiting out on the road all, you know, several years ago, what would you tell yourself knowing what you know now? Trust what you see. Um, I think a lot of times you get caught up in what everybody else is taught, saying or what, you know, maybe their ranking is or, you know, all there's, there's so much of this information on evaluations on guys, right? You have a lot of opinions, whether it be, you know, a prep baseball report, a perfect game, you know, all these different people that are evaluating things and, and write up and making write-ups and all that stuff is valuable. Um, but sooner or later, you just got to trust what you're seeing. And, and I can remember, and this still happens sometimes, but especially as a young guy where I really had an opinion of who I thought that guy was and thought he was really good. And then, but got scared off because maybe nobody was talking to him mm. um, or, you know, no, whatever. I mean, it just, he didn't have the fanfare. Maybe some others have, and then you're just like, Ooh, you back off. And then all of a sudden, two years down the road, you're seeing that kid who's a, you know, maybe he was a draft or was a great player somewhere else. Um, and he just didn't stick to what you saw. So when I, when, when these young coaches get in there and they ask that same question, this is what I tell them every time, trust what you see, you got it. You got to believe in what your eyes are telling you and, and don't worry about what everybody else is seeing. And if it clicks with you, um, then it, you should be okay with that and, and just be willing to trust yourself. Uh, you know, and, and there's times where it's easy, everything lines up, you know, yeah, everybody wants that kid. Okay, that's easy. But a lot of times, especially if you're, you know, when I started at Northern Iowa, it's like I had to go to a, a showcase or a tournament and whoever the best players were, I had to say, okay, that, those are out. Like, I'm not gonna have a shot at those guys. Mm you know, and then you'd want to take the bottom part and you want to get rid of that, right? The guys that you really know can't. Now you're in that middle area where maybe there's something a little wrong or something that you need to fix. Or um, again, going back to, he's just not strong yet, or, you know, some of those things. And you're really just trying to pick those guys out and you just got to trust your eyes in those situations. It's easy when it's, you know, Peyton Williams, who was here a couple of years ago, it's easy when he's six foot five, 240 pounds, and he's, you know, hitting balls out of the yard. Okay. That one's not hard. Right. Um, yeah. But, but maybe the next guy is, uh, you know, that, that you're trying to figure out if he fits in your program and, and where you can help him get to. So trust your eyes. Um, it doesn't always line up with everything else, but um, if you're going to stick in this, um, your eyes have to have to tell you the right, the right things a lot of the times. Where did you learn how to, how to, how to recruit from? Like, is there someone that really mentored you or was it just, you were just thrown in the fire and kind of figured it out? Kind of thrown in the fire. I mean, I, I started coaching right after I was done playing. Um, and you know, you just, this is a really cool fraternity coaching, especially in the baseball side. I don't feel like there's a lot of cutthroat to it. 
Um, I think everybody is really open. Um, and so, you know, as a young guy, you would be at games and you would sit with coaches, you would sit with older coaches, coaches your own age and get to know guys and, and bounce stuff off of each other all the time. And it didn't matter if you were recruiting the same guy. It's like, there's no secrets. What, what am I going to tell you that other, okay, you know, I was interested. Well, who cares? Um, you know what I mean? So it's really kind of a fun, that that's one of my favorite parts about recruiting, you know, other that we always talk about how, how we run ourselves into the ground to a degree. And we do, but certainly having a lot of friends in the, in the coaching fraternity helps sitting at games and learning new things. And you learn more about not only about recruiting, but just about different ways they do hitting and how they run their practices and their programs. And um, it's not just this secluded situation where you go to the, the game and you see coaches like, okay, I can't sit or talk to them. I got to be over here doing my own thing. Um, you're hanging out with those guys a lot and you're just constantly learning new ways to evaluate. I, I feel like I pick stuff up every summer um, with guys just on, on how they go about doing things and what's been successful for them. So from the recruiting standpoint, I, that was the way it was when I was young too. Um, when I was first starting out, I was sitting with, you know, we were in the Valley and I was sitting with Ken Henderson at, at, at SIU um, and these guys and, and Tim Brownlee and Jim Brownlee at, when they were at Illinois State and they were just, they'd been around and, and they're open. And so as I've gotten older, I've just really always felt that that's the way I needed to be. And, and um, to, to hope that if, you know, I do anything well, I don't know. Um, but, but I'll be, I'll tell you what, what's worked for, for me and what's, what hasn't. And, and I think that's just a cool thing about our profession. Yeah, that's really cool advice. I'm glad, I'm glad you shared that. Um, is there anything specific that, yeah, as you look out into the future of, of your own career, like you, you want to get better at, as a recruiter in this in like a couple different areas. Like, is there anything that you feel like you want to really get better at from a recruiting or scouting standpoint? I think just, just the ability to sell your program consistently. Um, I don't think really any of us, that's probably our strongest suit. We're more kind of uh, meat and potatoes, bare bones type of type of guys. We just were truthful and honest and just try to be ourselves and, um, you know, just just doing a better job, probably uh, talking about what's worked for us. Um, I think all of us can get better at that. And I think you're constantly trying to learn on better ways to evaluate, um, better ways to communicate with recruits. Um, you know, obviously I get older every year, but the, the, you know, the key people you're recruiting are kind of the same age, uh, that never changes. Um, not to take the, the line from days to confuse that's, you know, that's a little sicker line, but it's kind of the same, same idea is, is just trying to constantly stay in tune with, with how to communicate with, with today's, you know, today's student athletes or today's high school kids or junior college kids. Cause it's just different, you know, and. Um, it's funny when we talk to, we talk to our guys like, Hey, this guy may call you, you know, we're recruiting him or whatever. And then you talk to your guy and he says, Oh yeah, we texted. I was like, well, why don't you call him coach? That's just not what we do anymore. <laughs> okay. All right. You're my bad. Uh, you know, so just kind of staying in tune with, with what the best way to communicate with, with guys is and get your point across and sell your program and sell what you do. Um, I think you're constantly trying to be better at that. 
Why well, I think you guys do. I mean, if, if you need help selling your program, since I'm on the payroll now, Coach Heller's <laughs> got me on the payroll, I'd be more than happy to. And I know we, we were saying this, uh, I was we were talking a little bit before we started recording. And you know, I was being, you know, serious. You know, I've I've talked to uh, you know, one particular kid and who who, you know, is you know in the recruiting process. And we talked about, you know, I think the, the biggest thing is like, okay, what's your end goal? You know, and obviously you want to recruit kids, at least I would think so, who who want to who want to become the best and want to pitch in the big league someday. And so I told this one kid, he's like, that's what he wanted to do is pitch in the big leagues. He's like, well, you got to go to a place where, you know, you got an opportunity to play and you got to go to a place where, you know, you're going to develop. And so, and, and, and you know, the first program that I thought of was I you mentioned Iowa, you know, cause I've had Robin on and talked to him from the pitching standpoint. And, and, um, and I just, I just love so much. I just love that you guys are, are, are so per, not just progressive, but are, are just constantly learning and constantly growing. And, and I think that's just such a, a important trait to, to have as a coaching staff. And I think that's the cool thing about you guys. It's not just one, it's not just coach Heller. It's not just you, Marty. It's not just Rob, you know, it's, it's everybody. And um, you know, man, it's, it's, it's very cool as an outsider to see that um, just because it's rare. And I just think it's so important. I think players respect that. And I think from a recruiting standpoint, it's why wouldn't you want to go somewhere where they're obsessed with getting you better? You know what I mean? If you're willing to put in the work, um, they're going to put in the work. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just I like what you guys are doing from a development standpoint. And I remember watching uh, a Coach Heller's um, speech a couple of years ago at ABCA. And it was a lot of it was on the hitting stuff that you all were doing and, you know, vision training and everything. And I just thought, man, like every single thing is covered. Like they, like they didn't miss anything. It's a holistic approach to, to development. Was that something that, that coach Heller, um, like he kind of wanted to, to implement that into the program. And then you guys took, took it and ran with it. Or like, how did, how did Iowa become known for this development uh, juggernaut? Well, I think it all starts with Rick and, and just how he's wired. He's been doing this. This is maybe his 35th or 36th year as a head coach. Um, and he's never been satisfied. He's never satisfied with anything. Um, he's a lifelong learner. He, even at uh, his, his age, and he's not that old, even, you know, he started coaching. I think he had his first job, head job when he was like 22 or 23. Um, so he's been a head coach for so long, but he's never rested on, you know, what his knowledge was at that certain time, right? He's always trying to get better. And so he's open to everything. He, he, you know, he's not a guy that just says, well, this is the way we always do it. So this is how we do it. That's not good enough. It's never been good enough. So I think when the, when the head guy is wired that way, well, then the trickle down naturally is going to happen, right? You, you can't, I can't sit here and do the same thing hitting all the time. You know what I mean? It just wouldn't work that way. Um, and obviously I'm wired that way as well, or else I wouldn't be, wouldn't be still with them and, and on down the line, Rob and David, everybody. Um, so it's just that constant, that constant need to find more efficiency and better ways to do it. I think that's where it started. And then guys like Desi came on, on board with just a really analytical mind, right. And just, you know, Desi was doing crazy things at Mount Mercy, you know, uh, in NAIA school, he was setting up cameras. He was doing, you know, all these different things from a data standpoint that people weren't doing. I mean, you, you think of the data data explosion, you're talking about seven, eight years, right? I mean, that's what all we're talking about in baseball. The last seven or eight years, this has really changed. 
but Desi was doing stuff like that. So Desi gets involved and now he's starting to create a manager program. And now we get, you know, students involved that, that want to, that want to do things in baseball. And now we have, you know, I don't think there's probably, I think all of us believe we have the best manager program in division one baseball and college baseball. And it started with Desi cultivating, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, a culture really within the, within the managers that with pride and, and them, you know, getting projects and, and, and really bringing so much new information to us as coaches to better evaluate what we were doing. And, and then that way we can make those changes. Hey, Hey, what you were doing wasn't working. See, these are the numbers. Okay. We got to do something different. Um, then that went into, to, to Pete Lauritsen, to, to Joe Migliaccio, to, to now Robin. Um, we've just kind of had this, this, this nice run of guys, that have just continued to improve upon what we've we've already had. And that starts with the head coach of not being okay with what we're doing now. We want to do it better, more efficiently. Um, so I think it starts with Rick. And then it's just been a lot of people, you know, below that surface who've who've taken it to different levels and it constantly evolves, you know, and the manager program is just a special thing. You know, these guys are getting jobs in professional baseball. Um, it's like this well-oiled machine now. I mean, they take ownership in it. They do the interviews. Um, that culture is is just so so uh, impressive to watch. Um, and obviously, the benefits to our program, you know, are immeasurable. So it's it's something that um, has been a lot of fun being around. Could you elaborate on the a manager program? Because I don't think a lot of people understand just like exactly what it is and how big it is because it's not like any other program that I've seen. Yeah. So it's kind of broken into certain, certain areas. So we have, we have probably six, seven, eight guys who are strictly on field. So those are the guys that are setting up practice, the traditional man manager, you know, feeling or traditional manager jobs that everybody thinks about um, setting machines up, feeding machines, you know, just kind of grunt work, you know, like that type of stuff. And those guys, a lot of times want to be coaches, right? They want, they want to be around the practice setting and they want to get into coaching once they're done with, with school. Um, the next piece is you have the analytical part, kind of the research team. Um, they're the ones putting together, you know, helping evaluate all of the data that we, that we take in from TrackMan to, you know, um, hit tracks to blast to all of these type of things. They're the ones kind of accumulating that data and then helping us evaluate what we're finding. Right. And, and, you know, they can do very specific jobs, which is, you know, create a pitching profile for one of our guys, or um, I have them do reverse scouting reports all the time on our hitters. Where are our strengths? Where are our weaknesses? It doesn't line up with what my eyes are telling me. Um, you know, from all of that data that we're gathering, they create scouting reports on our opposing teams, you know, so when we go into a weekend series with Indiana, we have a ton of data and we let them create a scouting report and we try to match that up with what, you know, we've watched on video. So that analytics team is really in the weeds for you doing all the type of stuff. And those are the guys that want to go on, uh, and being our, you know, being R and D with, with professional teams, um, then you have like a video team, teams, you know, a group of kids that are going to help cut video, evaluate videos for you, you know, take videos, all those types of things. They're doing that type of stuff. And then there's clerical stuff that's involved too. So you kind of have all of those buckets. Um, and so I think right now we're probably in that 25 range total um, for all of that. And 
Um, Coach Heller's done a really good job fundraising to try to help, you know, get them, get them some, get them some money for what they're doing. And, and, you know, obviously the experience they're getting uh, and now the track record we do have in that area has just led to a ton of organizations reaching out to us wanting to hire, you know, our managers. And there's no, there's no greater motivator to, to do a great job than, hey, look, th this guy's now working for the Orioles. This guy's working for the Giants. This guy's working for the Cubs. Um, and it's just been really fun to watch. You know, we we work on the 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 baseball side of it, right? The players, we how much pride we get when that guy gets an opportunity to play professionally and make it to the big leagues and all that type of stuff. Well, that same pride is happening within you know the managers program when they realize their dream and they get a chance to to work professionally or they get a chance to go coach a high school team or coach a summer league team or whatever it may be. Um, there's just so much there's just so much uh, pride that we take in. Uh, that program. And it all starts with those kids, man. They've created a culture that, you know, I, I mean, we just hope that our, our team culture matches what that culture is. That's how good it is. It, it really is. It's cool. I've, I've gotten to work with a couple of the people who have graduated as managers and man, they're just incredible. They just do such a good job. And uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome to be able to see that live in action. Um, from a development standpoint, I mean, what's so if I'm a position player who who comes, you know, to campus in the fall at Iowa, can you take me through like what what it, what it would typically look like from a development standpoint throughout the fall and, and into the winter? I think, you know, your fall is so is based so much on that part of it, the development, right? You're so much on creating efficient movement patterns to um you know, working on uh, pitch selection, you know, all those types of things, I guess, just giving yourself a really good base for understanding the strike zone to moving efficiently, to getting stronger, to, to building a better engine, you know, to hit the ball harder, you know, all those types of things, I think is kind of what the fall is along with evaluating kind of where they're currently at. Um, and then as you move into the winter in this season, then now it's, it, you're hammering in on approach stuff, right? You're not worried so much about we're kind of the haze in the barn, so to speak, with a lot of those areas that we just that I just talked about or just mentioned. And now it's about okay, we got to swing at the right pitches, and we have to we have to have a good solid plan, and um, you know have a good idea with what we're facing, and all those types of things. It's kind of as you move into the spring, that's that's what you're you're really thinking about. But in the fall, it's it's kind of those nuts and bolts deals. All right. You know, specific aspects of the swing that we think that we need to, we need to do a good job with, you know, rear hip load, you know, similar to what pitchers are trying to do. We're trying to do the same thing with our hitters. Feel like if we're, if we do that well, then a lot of other things will fall into place, but, but that's what we're trying to do is just, just figure out how each person's going to move efficiently and athletically. And as we know, that's all different. Um, so figuring that part out is a big part of the fall, along with, you know, setting up, you know, some of those approach values or the plan ideas that we know we're going to utilize when we get to the spring and we're trying to, you know, beat, beat opponents. Um, so that's kind of how we set it up and there's a lot more that goes into it, but that's, that's what we're really getting at is let's, let's be efficient, powerful movers, um, by the end of the fall and let's have you know, 20 hitters that know their swing, right? That that can be their own coach so that when the bullets are flying, we can make adjustments on the fly and it's not, 
you know, your coach in your ear or you needing a video or needing any of that stuff, you know, you know what your swing is, you know what works for you. And now it's about um, maximizing that once we get to January and February. How do you help those players understand their swing? I think you're, I think you're doing it through video. You're doing it through, you know, talk, you know, just conversation with your guys. You're doing it, um, you know, with, you know, PVC type stuff where you can get them in a mirror so they can kind of see themselves as they move. Um, so you're just, you're trying to, you're trying to give them all of those different ways we learn, right. Whether through visual, you know, um, you know, me talking or them seeing, you know, you're trying to hit on all this, those areas. So they really get a good understanding of, um, okay, does what you feel match with what's actually happening? And, um, so they can see those types of things when they properly do, the things we're talking about correctly, that they see what that looks like. And then now we can match that up with how they're feeling. That's why the mirrors are so important, I think. Mm. So they can, they get that visualization of actually what they're feeling, matching that up with what's actually, you know, what they're seeing. I think that's really important. And you, and you just try to do that in as many different ways as you possibly can. Um, and, and again, I think the conversation becomes really important. You know, what I, I can tell them till I'm blue in the face certain things, but what they're feeling is way more important than what I'm seeing, right? So I have to dig that out of them. I have to call, have to mine that out of out of them, and they have to conversate that. So that's that's the other piece of it: getting them involved with what they're feeling and what they're what they want to do. I think that's that's so such an important um, thing you just mentioned about the mirror work. That's not something that I hear a lot of coaches talk about or i really hear really most people talk about is the importance of, of doing mirror work so you can see it so i'm really glad you brought that up um just and i just wanted to say that again for those listening of of doing that mirror work i think that's that's awesome um i was doing a a podcast with i don't know if you know this name jacob turner who who pitched in the big leagues was first round pick out of high school and reason why i bring him up is you know, he had one really good season uh pitching in the big leagues he was like 22 years old great year and um, he said that one of one of the things that I asked him, you know, about, you know, what was the difference between that year and all the other years is he said he was he there was a certain feel that he had, you know, a certain feeling to feel he had when he was pitching well. And then, you know, as the years went on, he was trying to find that old feeling. He was trying to find that old feeling instead of just uh, trying to find a new one, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And how important is, is like finding or helping players with, with feel, like, how do you actually, can you actually go about doing that? I remember just by listening to him talk about it, it, it literally sounded like it was something that really just changed his career, not for the better, but for the worse. Cause he was trying to find that old feel instead of just focusing on the new one. Yeah. I think it's really hard and it's kind of a, it can, can be really murky waters, right? I think some of it depends on the player. Yeah, um, I think really understanding how people are wired is important, but I think the only way that happens is talking, right? I mean, and, and just making sure that these conversations you have aren't hitting as a coach aren't one one way, like me talking and, and you know, projecting all what my thoughts are on him that they need to talk. And I think that's what are you, you need to understand what they're feeling. And, um, and then I think understanding that it's not perfect. And right. And, and I tell guys all the time that um, like we talk about timing. So I'll just bring up timing, literally hitting is off being off time. 
that's hitting, right? We're all great if we're timed up sync and synced perfectly, right? And we're all trying to strive for that. But literally, that doesn't happen a lot, right? And so being able to have that adjustability and hit off time is what great hitters do. And, and some can be super dramatic that I'm off time and others can just be a little bit. Um, but essentially, it's just working that that idea of, of getting them to understand that it's not going to be perfect and you're not going to feel perfect every time. But can I heard a Dodgers guy, uh, Aaron Bates, say this to me um, a few years ago. I just met Aaron one time and I was out uh, at Dodgers uh, instructs and he just said, we're literally just trying to close the gap between their best swing and their worst swing. Mm. So like trying to make that as small of a gap as possible. So because we understand like all of those are going to happen. So if, if we can be consistent enough where that worst swing still gives us the best chance to have success, well, then that guy's going to be a really good hitter. But if that's a really large gap, well, then we're going to have a ton of inconsistencies. And so that's something we talk about with our players. So going back to the feel, I think it's just getting them to understand that like you're not perfect. Yeah, we're striving to do that, but we're, we're not going to get there. But can, can we get it? Can we get that consistency really close with how we move and how we're timed up to give us a chance to hit off time? Oh, that's such good, such good advice. I love that. I could talk to you all day. I got one more question. I could, I, I don't want to take too much more of your time. I got, I could ask you a million questions, but I, I just, I think, you know, very highly of you as, as a coach. And I just think you, you, you guys do a really good job, but what about the mental side of the game? Like, how do you help, help players um, with that? Especially I will say in a team setting, because it's easy for someone like me in the private sector to help a guy out with that mental side. But when you're dealing with, you know, a lot of guys and you only have so many hours, it's a little bit more challenging. Well, the one thing I tell, or we've told guys before is, is the dirty secret in baseball is all of us talk about process, right? I mean, it's the only, that's what we're, we're hammering. We're not caught up in results, the wins, the losses. We're caught up in the everyday, you know, the process to, to getting better every day. But the dirty secret is, is we're all judged on our results. Hmm. And unfortunately, the guy in the lineup gets put out in the lineup a lot of times can be judged by results. You certainly have a better chance to be in the lineup if you're three for four, as opposed to zero for four, you have a better chance to be on the mound. If you had a one, two, three inning, as opposed to walking two guys and, and, you know, having a ton of traffic. So you can't, you can't just ignore that. I think that that's not fair, but what the guys have to understand is the only way to handle it right? The only way to handle that part of it, knowing that we're judging our results is to be super strong mentally and to have a consistent outlook and be process oriented and have a great routine and at bat routine and all those types of things. Give us a chance to deal with it. If we're not strong in those areas, we're going to be consumed by the results. So that's the first thing we talk about. And I think we've always been pretty good with it, but this year we've really made a concerted effort. We have a great uh, sports performance team here at Iowa. We're lucky enough to have uh, three or four individuals that that can work with our student athletes. Um, and Aubrey Kinney is 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 kind of the head the head um, of the sports performance department. And she literally comes out every Monday and takes the guys through some type of aspect of performance, whether it be goal setting to visualization mm. to, um, you know, all those types of things we can touch on and they go through and they have a plan for the week. Um, then Robin and, and David Pearson are kind of the other two prongs that along with our strength coach, Zach Walrod, and they're then pushing 
you know, certain things on the guys throughout the week as well. We may just do something really short at the beginning of every practice, two, three minutes of visualizations before we stretch. And so we just made a really concerted effort to really put it in the front of what we're doing practice-wise and what we're doing from a program standpoint. And so by doing that, obviously, the guys realize how important it is. If, if, that, if we're taking the time to do those things, then, oh, man, this is, this is something that really matters. And so um, this, sport, this sport is a beatdown sport, as we know. Um, it's just really hard. You fail a lot. And so if you're not strong in those areas and if you don't have a good system in place, it will consume the game. All the failures will consume you. And ultimately, that's why guys fall off right? They just, they don't have a good process or they're just not capable of, of really being process oriented, you know, and you get up to the major leagues. Those guys are the absolute best at it. I don't know if the, there are guys that are super talented, but I don't know that they're more talented the guy in, than the guy in single A um, or double A. Yeah. They just do that part of it at an elite level. And so that's, that's why we try to take as much time to to implement in practice and just stress to those guys like listen man this is this is your shot to handle the sport because otherwise if you're if that part isn't strong then you'll be consumed by the stuff that make it impossible to succeed so that that's that's the message they're getting getting and and as we know some guys are really good with it and some guys really struggle with it. And our job hopefully is by the time they leave here, they're way better at it. And maybe we've been lucky enough to get some guys elite at it. So when they get to professional baseball, they have a chance to advance because they, they're going to handle the stress. They're going to handle all the things that go in to it kind of being your job. Now um, they're going to do it really well. They're going to handle that part. And maybe, maybe if they don't make it, it's just because the skill level just wasn't quite, quite enough it wasn't because they couldn't handle all of the the other stuff that can really really stop you love it marty that was incredible i i'm such a big big believer in the the visualization and, and the, the mental side of the game and um and, and there's another example of like you said you guys are, are taking it to an, another level and, and making it you know getting even better at it this this um you know fall versus you know other years and, and making more of an emphasis and players see that too um, I just, I think that's so important, but I appreciate you coming on, man. It's been a ton of fun. I could, we could pull a Joe Rogan and do this for three straight hours. And I could, I have a million questions, but I know you actually have, you know, some real work to do too. So, but I, I appreciate you coming on, man. It's been a ton of fun. And it, I just, um, it's always fun talking to, to, you know, coaches who are again, just pushing, pushing themselves and, and getting players better. So I appreciate it. Well, Patrick, certainly, uh, appreciate you having me on. Um, and just really, love what you do and just trying to learn and get better. And um, certainly as coaches, we've been benefit, you know, we benefit from what you do because we listen and, and learn other things and, and um, just appreciate you having, having, you know, our staff on here and, and you got Rick left on the, on the wish list and he'll definitely do it. Um, but uh, just appreciate what you do, man. You're doing a great job. Thank you. Thank you. You bet.